Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I think the most basic fact about Christianity, maybe about the world or about what it means to be human, is God has spoken in Christ. That tells us who God is. That tells us what the world is about. And it tells us uh, what life is about. Tells us what it means to be human. And this is determinative of our worldview, or it should be. And of course, the alternative to beginning with God has spoken is to say, well, human beings have spoken too. Or just human beings have spoken and displaced God. That is, our world can be shaped by a human word or a human construct. And maybe at a more personal level, just our own personal conscience, our own image, self-image, my word, may be the thing that organizes me more than God's word. So that our own word can be a kind of shaping force. So I think that's our choice. We can build on God's word or we can build on a human word. And I think that's the picture here in Romans chapter 10, verses 3 to 11. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So the picture here is the Jews would establish their own righteousness. It's not that they didn't have a word from God, they had the law, But I think they misunderstood the law. Instead of seeing the law as pointing to Christ, to making things right, they saw the law as an end in itself. They tried to manipulate the law to establish their own righteousness. You know, righteousness, don't get too foggy-brained here. All that means is things ain't right, and God's making things right. Instead of producing faith in the word, which is Christ, or seeing the law as being about Christ, they took the law then as the word, as an end. They made it their own. 
their own law or their own word is the equivalent of what it became. And of course, that's just the human problem, not just the Jewish problem. It's only by seeing Christ as the end of law that the Old Testament is really constituted as Scripture. For Christ, Paul says, is the end of the law for righteousness. God is making things right. This is where things were always going to everyone who believes. Scripture is constituted in the speaking, in the word of Christ. And where Christ is absent, God's word is absent, right? And we only have a human word. And so there is a human word apart from Christ that can become the organizing principle of our world. That's what Paul's describing. God has spoken and man has spoken. And these two ways or these two facts to organize our world it results in two different systems. It may be that human language is the structuring principle of our world. The word of man can be a word about the nation state. It can be a word about my tribe, my people. That word could be any number of things, as it was with the Jews. The word about being Jewish. And the word of man as the displacement of the word of God that just describes the universal human dilemma. And the word of God lifting up and filling the place of the human word, that describes the cure. And so where we displace the word of God, we're displacing God himself. Paul says God's word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. God's word is God himself in his revelation. God is near you. That's what he's saying. God is in your mouth. God is in your heart. In his word, God gives himself. And not just something about himself. The revelation of God is not, you know, some facts about God, some propositions. No, this is who God is. These propositions may be involved, but the word of God is not something added to who God is, but this revealing is who he is. And what is revealed in the revelation is God's self. God is giving himself in Christ, the word. And so we can picture this word as having three parts. It's spoken, it's preached, it's the word of Christ. You know, Paul is going to talk about here, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the word of God. This word is about Christ, but God is in this word of the gospel. This is the gospel we have received from God. Paul says, if you confess, if you take up the word and believe, this is the reception of God. God is the one who reveals. He is the content of this revelation, and he is the means of the revelation being received. So we can say, he is the revealing, and this is the work of God the Father. He's the revealer. The Father has sent the Son, and this is what is revealed about God. This is God the Son. And the revealedness, or the work of receiving, of believing, the picture of a fullness of salvation, or the enactment of this revelation, I believe this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So the work of the Father is revealer, the Son, what is revealed, and the Spirit is in the reception and participation in the revelation. This is the Christian faith. 
we have a word from God. And so revelation is the objective reality, but it's not just that. It's the subjective appropriation of this reality. To limit it to a proposition, a fact, a dogma, is to miss that what is being communicated is not separate from the means of communication or vice versa. That is, we may reduce Christianity to say, well, okay, you have to believe this, you have to believe this, and that's all there is. But Paul is saying much more than that. We don't just believe these dogmas, but there is a person to be trusted. God is not an object for sight or a proposition of the mind. God is not a law to be enacted. God is ultimately a person and is the ground of our personhood. God is a word, but also the ground of communication and communion. You know, this is the sui generis, and that word just means here is the unique, one-off point of departure. It's like the word that created the world. God speaks. That's all you need to know. God has spoken. And the word that recreates us, this is a primary fact. He creates and recreates. This word does not stand under any other condition or criteria. It is itself the condition. Everything revolves around this word. So it's not a possibility to be realized by other means but it's the basis of all possible realizations. Maybe if we would put it in grammatical terms, the word of God is not a subject like other subjects. It's not an object like other objects. It's not a predicate, but the word is all of those things, the subject, object, and predicate. Revelation is not a minus or plus, you know, to God, it's not another over and against God. It is God. It's the repetition of who God is. God is in the word. God is in the preaching. God is in the believing. Maybe let, let me say it in a kind of odd way, but the difference between the word of God and the human word is that we are not in our word the way that God is in his word. Or another way to say it is that we might imagine that we have a form of certainty in the word of man. You know, this is the Cartesian, I think, therefore I am, and I could be certain of that. But according to scripture, certainty comes through faith. This is Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. As Paul puts it here in Romans, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Here is a certainty. So we begin with the certainty of the word of God, the fact that God has spoken. This word does not receive its validity from some presupposition or anything that we might bring to it. Its truth for us is truth itself. It's grounded absolutely in itself. So it's not a matter of doing it my way or discovering myself or, you know, that's the picture in modernity. I think, therefore I am, and then I can figure out everything else. But this is the opposite. We establish self-certainty 
in the certainty of God. We measure certainty or assurance by the certainty of God without waiting for the validating of any self-certainty. And so only subsequent to this faith, you know, does Paul talk about this not being disappointed or this certainty, this self-certainty. It's only in the knowledge of God's word that I can begin to comprehend or have self-understanding. So the movement is not apart from the revealing work of God. There is the full movement. And I think our tendency will be to try to go elsewhere. That's what Paul says. You know, the word is near you. It's in your heart. You know, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. I think our tendency is to go elsewhere. As if we need to go to heaven. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. That is, the resurrection has already happened. We do not have to seek this word as God's word has found us. If we go seeking it elsewhere, I think that's our tendency. Oh, there is the gospel, and let me add to that, or let me go beyond that, or let me go underneath of that. But that amounts to a denial of Christ's deity or a denying of his being heaven sent. It would amount to a denial, Paul says, of his resurrection. God will not let anything up to, and including death, stand in the way of his word. His word has broken through. And we do not have to wait to die, to go to heaven, to meet God. We have met him in his word. And so where we seek God outside of his word, I think we deny his personhood as found in Christ. We would objectify God. We would project him into the heavens or beyond the grave. And life is reduced to a waiting upon reality rather than a recognition of the reality that is there before us. That here is my Lord. You know, to objectify this is to make him something other than the subject that he is. The person that he is. Paul says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves. I think we could almost read this, they did not become subjects. They fell short of being human. They tried to make themselves right. And this they, of course, is everybody outside of Christ. They tried to establish an alternative goodness, an alternative rightness. Instead of being subjects constituted by God, they tried to constitute themselves as subjects. Instead of acknowledging the fatherhood of God, they, maybe we, would be our own fathers. Here the divine subjectivity is sucked up into human subjectivity which inquires or seeks after a God that does not exist. And so to make ourselves the subject, the object, the predicate, it's to miss God and it's to pursue what's impossible. Maybe a, another way of putting this, it's only in a healthy human subjectivity that the fullness of the divine subject can be understood, apprehended. God is relational as part of who he is. 
That's the picture of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Spirit are relational, but God relates to us. And this relationality is synonymous with his revelation and his relation to us. Who he is as Father, Son, and Spirit is inclusive of revelation. And there is nothing beyond or nothing further than this. This is what it means for God to be God. And the capacity, this capacity for relationship, this capacity for self-giving, this capacity for intermutual participation, this names the divine subject, but you understand this also explains what a person is, what we are made for. The relational or personal core of revelation. Certainly it's inclusive of the rational, the propositional, but these are not enough. These are just part of what it means to be a person or to be personal. And the experience of the word involves a person-to-person -person relation. That's what Paul is describing, an encounter with God. This is where we become human. It's established. We're established. That's what it means to be saved, right? To be saved means you become fully human. You become fully a person. And so Emmanuel, God with us, is God for us in the full sense. Quite simply, God's present in his revelation. Present, his self-presence is given to us. And of course, the strange thing is, apart from the presence of God, we have no self-presence. We're absent to ourselves. We can't get a handle on ourselves. We can't get a grip. That's what it means to not be saved. This self-presence of the Spirit of God, God's revealedness. It's not so much the reality in which, oh, now we become sure of God, but it's the reality in which he makes himself sure of us, in which he establishes his claim to lordship over us. By his immediate presence. He's in your mouth. He's in your heart. He's in your speech. He's nearer than I am to myself is a way of putting that. And so only through the Holy Spirit can man become a real speaker, a real presence. And that's the picture, or a real witness. That after this Paul will talk about how can they hear unless someone preaches? He's, you know, the end of this passage is you witness to this truth. You testify. And the Spirit guarantees man what he cannot guarantee himself. We cannot guarantee our own identity. What is spoken by God himself for us, in us. You know, with the heart a person believes. And the fullness of faith and knowledge and obedience. That's actually the three things Paul has described here. You know, you obey, and you realize this. It becomes a fullness of faith. It's the realization of who God is, but it's the simultaneous realization of our own personhood. And so the implication is that apart from this yes to God, Apart from this yes to revelation, there is a negation of the person. So here is language. Here is the word properly functioning. Here's what it means to be a subject. And the problem, as Paul is addressing it, you know, actually this starts in chapter 9 of Romans, and he goes through 
clear to chapter 11 describing the problem. And he's describing what it might look like to establish our own righteousness. You know, that's chapter 7, actually. We can occupy a human word, a human worldview, a human religion, and this may constitute our world. You know, if you take all the things I said about God's word, and then you flip it around and negate it, God's word is self-justified. God has spoken. But this self-justifying and self-authenticating disclosure of God, I think it also indicates the direction of failure because we would make our word like God's word self-authenticating. We would trust in a human word and continual attempts at self-justification. Isn't that what it means? They would make their own righteousness. That's the primary description of human failure. Knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And so maybe the drive is not simply, oh, I want to do the right thing, but to establish my own existence, to establish my own word. That's the picture in Genesis 3. And so Paul pictures the law. It's impotent, but it's an oppressive force in this orientation of sin. The law, in this sinful understanding, it condemns, it entices, imagining that we can establish our own righteousness. And so Paul's resolution to the alienation of the subject, that's what he's talking about when he talks about salvation, you know, to become a child of God. Where the sinful mind is by definition, he says elsewhere, hostile to God. If we're going to establish our own righteousness, that makes us hostile to God. But the one adopted as a child by the Spirit has overcome this hostility. You know, this is Ezekiel's prophecy of the difference between the law written upon stone, but having a heart of stone. But now the law will be written on flesh, and God's Spirit will indwell his people. The move from law as alienating and oppressive to the law written on the heart is a move from the orientation to human word to an orientation to the word of God, which is Christ. So Paul's cry, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? I think that we're seeing the answer unfold in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. It's followed then by Abba, Father, we cry. The orienting, the creating word has changed everything up. And so God's revelation is a repetition of God. Now that, that also points to a problem and indicates we would imagine that through our word we have ourselves. Well, let me repeat myself. Let me dig in deeper. Let me climb up higher. Well that describes the human striving that I would ascend to the heavens or I would go to the abyss. It describes the human struggle. The human sickness actually. I would be my own father. I would establish my own law. The compulsion is the drive to have life through a death-dealing process. That's what he's saying. If you miss the word of God, you miss God. Throughout Romans 7, 8, 9, he's just saying that if you would reverse engineer the gospel, take out Christ, take out the Holy Spirit, take out Abba Father, what is left is the human word. 
What is left is establishing our own righteousness. And that's actually Romans 7. We have the law, there's the I, I do what I don't want to do. There's the dynamic of death. There is the loss of control of the body. There's an overall incapacity. You know, I can't in some way obtain the law. And this is the dynamic of death. And that sums up the human problem. And the word of God in chapter 8 to 10, especially here in chapter 10, sums up the answer. God's being is in his revelation. God's communicating brings us into communion. God's revealing is his revealedness of himself. And so the purpose of God's communicating is sharing the love the Father has for the Son in the Spirit. That's the way Paul concludes chapter 8. And so Paul pictures believers as those who are caught up in this communicating, communing activity of the love of God. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org. Dot org.